Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we're continuing in our series, Celebrating Our Freedom in Christ. And we'll be turning in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Lessons from the Condemned. Have you ever driven by a cross beside a road? And most likely that cross indicates the place where someone died in a motor vehicle accident. I know of some places in the United States where they actually put a sign on the road indicating the amount of fatalities that have actually occurred at a given intersection or on a dangerous stretch of the highway. You know, a sign like that makes you think about your driving habits. You might want to slow down. Perhaps you should put your telephone down or your mobile device makes you want to take extra precautions just to be safe. Nobody wants to be a statistic placed on a roadway sign. Now, did you know that there are spiritual statistics? 1 Timothy 6.10 speaks about people who have, because of their money, wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs or griefs. 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 mentions a man named Demas who was in love with the present world and deserted Paul in his ministry. John, in 1 John 2.19, talks of those who went out from the Christian community, proving, he says, that they were not truly one of us or one of us in the first place. John 6 mentions a host of would-be disciples who simply stopped following Jesus. In Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus said that in the last days there would be an increase of lawlessness, that is, people functioning without moral constraints, and the love of many that they had for Christ would simply grow cold. See, all of these examples are examples of spiritual casualties, people who started out right, but who stopped following Christ. Now, as a pastor, I've witnessed this personally on several occasions. You know, I have a memory I think I'm going to take with me to my dying day. A man with whom I had prayed to receive Christ several years later left his wife, his kids, moved in with another woman, and abandoned his faith. I sat in his home and pleaded with him. I told him of my love for him, of Christ's call on his life. I read scripture to him. I warned him from Hebrews 6 and 10. And in the end, he told me that regardless of the consequences, this was the pathway he had chosen. And to this day, he now takes no interest in the things of Christ. See, unlike roadway statistics, no spiritual statistic happens by accident. Every single spiritual statistic could have been prevented. But just like a roadway statistic, the reminder of what's happened to some makes us want to be extremely careful as we live out our lives. You know, at this point, before we go further, I want to make something very clear. I know that there's always an argument among believers as to whether or not one can lose their salvation. Now, without getting into the debate, but from my perspective, from reading scripture, I don't think you can. I I believe in something the older theologians used to call the perseverance of the elect or the perseverance of the saints. In other words, one mark of those individuals whom God has elected is that they do persevere. They're going to hang in there. They're not going to abandon their commitment to their Savior. And so I might say those who are truly born again won't be spiritual casualties. Well, okay, then why worry? Well, for one, there is this little fascinating verse that's tucked away in 2 Peter. Peter's warning believers to supplement to their faith a long list of qualities, things like virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness, godliness, a brotherly affection and love. And then just to tell us how important it is to pay attention to these qualities, listen to what he says, 2 Peter 1 verse 10. 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In other words, some people are simply deceived about their election and calling. You have to make it sure. Now, what does that mean? You know, can we know whether we're saved or not? Well, yeah, that's exactly what Peter is expressing. As we take care to nurture grace, as we take to heart the promises of God, as we strive to fight for joy in Christ and how to avoid sin, we're proving that we're the real thing, that we indeed have received the grace that will keep us to the end. Or consider the warnings in Hebrews 10:26. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. See, it's my understanding that it is the mark of those who are saved that they do take these warnings very seriously. Now, there are those, the ones Jesus mentioned in the parable of the sower, when he went out to sow in which the seed uh, fell on rocky ground and thorny soil. I mean, for a while... They look like they're growing like everyone else, but then the pleasures of this world and the love for darkness simply overwhelms them, and the warnings are finally and ultimately ignored. Now, before I go on, just a side note. You know, to those who have sinned deliberately and even habitually and are now wondering whether Hebrews 10.26 applies to them, well, perhaps you're one of them and you're struggling with whether or not you've committed the unforgivable sin. But listen, my brother and sister, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has made a covenant with us through Jesus. And if we but look to the cross, confess our sins, he will, by his Holy Spirit, give us strength to renounce our sin as we continue to look to him. The only person who can't be forgiven is the one who will not confess their sins and renounce them. So hear me. If you fall into the same sin a hundred times, just get up a hundred and one times. Never lie down in sin. Never resign yourself to them. Look to Christ. Lean on his power. Learn to walk in the Holy Spirit. Fix your eyes on what is unseen. Now, we've been studying 1 Corinthians 8 to 11 because we're doing a series on Christian freedom. You know, it's possible for Christians to misunderstand freedom as thinking that there's a whole host of things that we can freely do and participate in indiscriminately. It's not freedom. That's the fastest pathway to spiritual slavery. And what we're learning from 1 Corinthians is that being truly free requires the discipline Paul talks about when he says, I beat my body and make it my slave so as never to fall back to slavery. So let me read the text, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 6. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness." Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Now, from this text, let me begin by stating something that should become obvious to all of us. Are you ready? Please listen up. Great spiritual blessings don't ensure spiritual success. I mean, do you know that? Let me say it again. Great spiritual blessing don't ensure spiritual successes. Now, that might seem strange to some of us because somehow, 
some of us have been raised to assume quite the opposite. We assume that great spiritual blessings determine for sure great spiritual success. But we're wrong. See, that's what Paul wants us to understand from the Exodus story. The generation that experienced great spiritual blessing, that generation became a spiritual statistic. For instance, the person who has a marvelous story of Christ answering prayers. Yes, because I have had prayers answered and I've been healed and financial matters have been resolved miraculously, even prayers for the salvation of others, I therefore believe that this will ensure my long-term spiritual success. See, is that true? No. Or in some circles, you know, people will say, well, if I've been visited in an extraordinary fashion by the Holy Spirit, I'm always going to walk in the Spirit. Or because I have a wonderful spiritual gift and use it, I know that that ensures my spiritual future. You know, or perhaps in my case, you know, I might say for myself personally, because I can preach well and people have come to Christ through my ministry, I'm always going to be fine. And so we can assume that the way to ensure that we'll never be a spiritual statistic is because of our past successes. You know, in verse 6, when speaking of Israel's experience, Paul says, these things took place as examples for us. And by the way, if we skip ahead all the way to verse 11, he's going to repeat that phrase again. These things happened as an example to us. In other words, what happened to ancient Israel? And by that, Paul means the great spiritual disaster they encountered while wandering in the wilderness is like a roadway cross. It's a marker. It's a warning that great danger is upon us. Now, I think there are many who simply don't take the warning seriously. We reason, look, we're not like ancient Israel. See, they didn't have the cross of Christ. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the church. They didn't have the clear promises of Christ. And so we reason what happened to Israel just can't happen to me. Now, if that's your theology, then you need to pay attention to the words that Paul said. These things happened as an example to us. Are you listening? Please pay attention. Have you been considering joining us for the 2021 Back to the Bible Canada Israel experience? Well, after much consideration and prayer, the ministry has decided that we'll be postponing our next Israel experience to 2022. You'll understand why with so much uncertainty in our world right now. The exciting news is that those who have been nervous or reluctant to jump on board have a new window of opportunity. Join us in Israel April 24th to May 2nd, 2022, and consider adding to your experience our extension to Jordan May 2nd to May 7th, 2022. This will definitely be a journey of a lifetime. Register soon because even though the date is a little ways away, the space is limited. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca. Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Imagine someone driving past one of those intersections that say, 237 fatalities have happened at this corner. Well, he says to himself, that was the olden days when no one wore seatbelts, or there were no ABS brakes and no airbags, and there were no auto crumple zones and no lane-keeping assists, and on and on it goes. And, and so he takes little heed, and a semi-trailer comes and flattens him like a pancake. 
Yeah, it is true that believers in Christ today have great advantages over those who lived during the times of the Old Testament. But we should also be aware that Christians today are in the same spiritual drama as Israel. Or I could have said so-called Christians are in the same spiritual drama as Israel. See, what happened to Israel in the wilderness could happen to you. Okay, what did happen to Israel? Well, if you examine the first five verses that we've read, you'll find that Paul uses the word all five times. He's listing the spiritual blessings that all of them had. So let's notice them. First, all Israel were under the cloud. That is for 40 years, every single day, every single night, two million of them witnessed the visible presence of God. Every day, a cloud appeared over them. And in the night, the cloud filled with fire, filling the night sky with burning in the middle of the sky, indicating that Yahweh himself lived in the center of his people. Now, secondly, all Israel passed through the sea. Two million watched as God miraculously parted the Red Sea and saved Israel and destroyed the armies of Pharaoh. And thirdly, all were baptized into Moses. If you wonder about that phrase, it seems that Paul is pointing out a similarity between the experience of Christian believers today and that of ancient Israel. Just like we today are baptized into Christ, and this baptism symbolizes our deliverance from the slavery of sin, that is, we've died to sin, we were raised to new life through the resurrection of Christ, so also ancient Israel was baptized into Moses, symbolizing their deliverance from slavery. Now, I have to stop here because to understand verse 2 correctly, it kind of seals the deal. Verse 2 is one of the most crucial verses in the Bible to combat the persistent heresy of baptismal regeneration, that baptism ensures salvation. In other words, baptism can't take away original sin, neither can it guarantee that a child belongs to Christ. Now, many of you know that I hold to believer's baptism, but even if you hold to infant baptism, might I urge you strongly that faith alone and not baptism can save. Baptism is merely a sign of faith. And so to review, all Israel saw the visible sign of God in the cloud every day. All witnessed the amazing events of the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses. Fourthly, all ate the same spiritual food. God miraculously fed two billion people in the desert six days every week, allowing for an overabundance on Friday so that on Saturday they would have a day of rest. And fifthly, all drank the same spiritual drink, meaning that God gave them water out of a rock when they were dying of thirst. Now, Paul adds here that that rock was Christ. Now, many commentators have linked the idea of drinking from the rock of Horeb in the Old Testament and since Paul calls that rock Christ, from whom we drink, then he's speaking about the Lord's table. Now, as much as I have throughout my ministry stressed the importance that believers should be at the Lord's table, share communion, and I've even encouraged them that this is a means of grace that God has given to his people. Now, even while I say that, I need to add that being at the Lord's table frequently, as you ought to do, does not guarantee spiritual success. Now, after mentioning those five alls, noticing the word change in verse 5 going from all to most of them. All of them had the same experience, and yet with most of them, God was not pleased as they were overthrown in the wilderness. When the time came for them to enter into the promised land, they lacked the faith to enter. In spite of the spiritual blessings that they had had in the wilderness, they died in the wilderness and were never brought into the promised land. 
See, think of it again. After seeing God in action, seeing his great power, being fed and watered by God, when all was on the line, they stood at the entrance of the promised land, looked their enemies in the face, and knew they needed to trust in God. And then they panicked and decided they would not trust in God and said, we wish we had died in Egypt. And then God closed the door to the promised land to most of them. You know the story. Most of them means that only two out of two million entered the promised land and the rest became a spiritual statistic. Now to the beginning of verse six. Now these things took place as examples for us. Paul is saying that like Israel, there are people who seem to start out right, seemingly in Christ, but ending in disaster. Here's a true illustration. In the early days, of Billy Graham's ministry. A young, gifted Canadian evangelist was preaching alongside of Graham, and many thought he was a better and more gifted evangelist than was Graham. His name was Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton founded Youth for Christ International and hosted an incredibly popular show on CBS. At that time, it was the most watched network in the world, a show that was entitled Look Up and Live. At that time, most were thinking it would be Templeton and not Billy Graham who would be the biggest preacher of his day. But something happened. Templeton left his wife of 18 years, a wife who had sung with him in the revivals. And then he announced that he had religious differences with her and then stunned everyone by announcing that he had become an agnostic. Templeton walked away from the faith, never to return to it again. He became a successful journalist and even for a time became the editor of Maclean's magazine, which is Canada's leading news magazine. And late into his life, when Templeton was in his 80s, when he was in early stages of Alzheimer's, he wrote his final book entitled Farewell to God. In one of the final interviews ever done during his lifetime, Templeton was asked if there was anything he missed about not being a Christian anymore. He said, and I quote, there have been many other wonderful people in history, but Jesus, he said, is Jesus. And then in a moment of extraordinary candor, he said, I miss Jesus. And then he wept on camera for several moments. Templeton died at 86 back in 2001, a spiritual statistic. He entered into eternity without faith, without Christ, and without hope. His only son is an atheist. See, but as a pastor, I could tell other stories like that, some dramatic and some not. I remember very early on in my ministry, a very successful businessman telling me he feared for his own eternity, but he was going to walk away from God, and he did, spiritual statistic. But do you know not every spiritual statistic openly says farewell to God? I mean, some just stop praying. Some stop reading their Bible. Some stop trusting and stop going to church and stop serving and stop living for the glory of Christ. Some even come to church, but they have died years ago and are hardly even aware that all they once had has fled from them. How does that happen? And can that happen to you? See, I want you to pay very close attention to verse 6. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Now, the word here is desire. The same word, the word epithumia, is often translated as lust. It's also translated as craving. You know, like you have been craving for a potato chip at 1130 at night and, and you're on a diet, but then you eat three bags, one salt and vinegar, one barbecue, one sour cream and onion. You crave, you desire, you lust. See, what's fascinating in the New Testament is that the Greek word is not necessarily a negative one. 
Jesus in the gospel says, I have earnestly lusted to eat this Passover with you. See, all that word means is strong desire or craving. And so Paul attaches to this word the phrase craving for evil. And with that, he opens up our eyes as to why there are spiritual statistics all over the place. All manner of people who might want to follow Christ are overcome by a craving that manipulates them contrary to their will and drives them away from Christ. And all that brings us back to this word, freedom. Take care that your use of freedom does not open you up to passions and lust that you cannot easily shut down. Cravings that compete with Christ within you. Look, there's so much more to say, and I want you to listen to the next message that I will have on this as we continue to safeguard that we will not become spiritual statistics. But I have put the matter so strongly that you might recognize that there truly is a danger and the Lord would have us to be safe in him. We must learn to content ourselves with the love of Christ, and we must learn to turn our backs from that which has caused disaster in many. Heavenly Father, I pray, would you safeguard all who hear my voice so that we would find in Jesus and in Jesus alone a treasure chest of holy joy. So John, this is an important message. So I have to ask you the question, how do we know when we have sort of crossed that line? Or how do we know when we go from that certainty of our salvation and we know that we're no longer going to be a spiritual statistic? What is that crossing point? Yeah, Ben, I really want to give encouragement to people that they are not to despair. Take 1 John 1, 9 and apply it to yourself over and over again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So continue to believe in him. Continue to confess your sins. Continue to come to him and say, you know what? I've really wrecked things and I don't know if my passion for you is as it should be. Could you revive it again? Keep asking Christ for what you need and he will provide you for more than what you need. And that's what you're going to find out. But if you become complacent and say, nothing bad can happen and therefore take no concern to ever uh, bring your case before the Lord or look to him in faith, you ought to be alarmed at the state of your soul. I think that's what this is saying. But if you're alarmed today and are running to Christ and saying, how can I find forgiveness? Well, then take hope because that's all the sign that you need that Christ is at work in you and you ought to be secure. Thanks, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. During the month of August, we'll be unveiling a slightly new visual look for the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. This change came as a result of a deep search into a a 60-plus year legacy of ministry and a determination to continue our commitment to offering trustworthy Bible teaching. To celebrate the past and embrace the future of Bible teaching, Dr. Neufeld will be airing a brand new five-message series entitled Bible Teaching You Can Trust. This is a biblical study of the key elements that indicate the Bible teaching you're listening to is trustworthy. This will air on this radio station, online, podcast, and in our mobile app. But we also want to offer you the series on CD as our gift for free. All you need to do is call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And if Bible teaching you can trust is something you value, 
perhaps you'd consider offering a financial gift of support. Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust.